0: Well, today is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's Trinity Sunday, and we are introducing the Apostles' Creed to our weekly liturgy. So I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the creed itself, and also to explain why we think reciting this creed together as a church, week after week, is a healthy and formative spiritual practice for us. Originally, in the early church, the Apostles' Creed was used as part of the baptismal liturgy. It served as a, a pledge of allegiance to God. And, and by the second century, it was being used in Christian communities really all around the world. Unfortunately, though, it's, it's not used as widely today. Following the Protestant Reformation, um, the, the church in the West continued to, to fracture and splinter into a number of different denominations. Um, and, and I think we can all agree that Division is regrettable. Um, It's tragic, actually. It's not what God wants for his church. But in response to all the division, there were certain groups who arose, and in the name of unity, uh, they began to say things like, no creed but Christ. No creed but Christ. And that's still still a popular perspective today. Um, I expect most of us have probably heard some version of that. Um, As taglines go, it's a pretty good one. Um, No creed but Christ. It's slick and it's punchy and it's hard to argue with. It sounds pious. It sounds biblical. It sounds Christ-centered. But in the end, no creed but Christ is a creed. No creed but Christ is not found in the Bible. It's an extra-biblical formulation meant to summarize a particular belief and then to guide Christians accordingly. And that is the definition of a creed. No creed but Christ is a creed. But to really see and, and understand the inadequacy of that perspective, all, all you really have to do is ask for a definition of terms. No creed but Christ. Okay? Okay? And who is Christ? Because as soon as you start to answer that question, you've started down a path that will ultimately lead you to some form of creedal statement. And so we've, so Christians claim to believe in Christ, right? But but so do Jehovah's Witnesses. And so do Mormons. And so do Muslims. And so we have to be more specific than that. If you believe the Bible, sooner or later, you're going to have to summarize what you believe in the form of some type of teaching, whether it's a confession or a doctrinal statement or a book or a sermon or whatever it is. But as soon as you do that, as soon as you summarize the Bible's teaching, you have created a creed. The creeds are simply summary statements generated from the scriptures and then affirmed by the consensus of the universal church through the ages. The creeds guide our understanding of the Christian faith. Having a creed, having a creed is like having a 2,000-year-old Bible teacher in your church. If our church had a 2,000-year-old Bible teacher, we would all want to learn from that person, right? Right? Well, the creeds lay out for us and and for all the generations before us and all the generations that will come after us, the the main teachings and the general content and the primary concerns of Scripture. So when, when we internalize these creeds, when we memorize them and recite them over and over, we are better equipped to interpret the Bible within the bounds of orthodoxy. We're better equipped to sift the teaching that we read in books or that, or that we hear in sermons. We're better equipped to know when our pastors have gone off the rails. In fact, the creed is positioned within our liturgy immediately after the sermon. And, and that's on purpose. We are inviting the congregation to weigh everything you were just taught against the historic teaching of the church. So, let's take a look at the Apostles' Creed. I'm not going to go line by line through the creed, um, but there's a big stack of printouts on the floating shelf in the foyer. Um, So if you're interested in a line by line explanation, please grab one of those on your way out. I'm just going to give the big picture of what the creed was meant to accomplish because I think it's still very relevant for the church today. All right. Let's, let's actually read the Apostles' Creed together. There's a copy in your bulletin. Um, we'll do this again here in a minute, but this will be, be our dress rehearsal, all right? Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate Well the first thing you may notice is that the Apostles' Creed is recited in the first person singular. I believe. And that phrase can mean the phrase I believe can, can mean a couple different things. If you think Bigfoot is real, you might say, I believe in Bigfoot. If you think that democratic principles are are generally good and beneficial, you might say, I believe in democracy. But in the Apostles' Creed, the Greek phrase, I believe, means literally, I am believing into God. I am believing into God. So, th- so this is far beyond a, a mere affirmation of-, of, certain- of certain facts about God, right? We are identifying ourselves in relation to him. To believe in this sense is a statement of allegiance, it's an all-encompassing commitment that we're making together. We're not just expressing our views or opinions. We're entrusting ourselves to the object of our belief. And not only that, when, when we recite this creed, we are folding our voices into a great communal chorus that calls out across the world and throughout the ages, saints departed and saints yet unborn from every tribe and tongue. That's what it means when we say, I believe in the communion of saints. And so according to St. Augustine, the, the I that speaks the creed is you, and the I that speaks the creed is me. But more importantly, the I that speaks the creed is the one body of Christ. So what, according to the creed, do I believe? Does the body of Christ believe? I believe into God the Father Almighty. I believe into Jesus Christ, his only Son. I believe into the Holy Spirit. There is a Trinitarian framework to the Apostles' Creed. But within within that Trinitarian structure, the details of the Creed basically function as a history lesson. It's a list of real-world happenings, past, present, future, God the Father created, Jesus was conceived, Jesus was born, Jesus suffered, Jesus descended to the dead, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus will come again, right? This is a history lesson. Last week, I I said that Christianity is not, not merely a religion based on abstract truth or good ideas. The gospel is historical record. And the Apostles' Creed is reflective of that fact. But more specifically, the Apostles' Creed was formulated in response to a a particular heresy. A heresy called Gnosticism. So Gnosticism was one of the earliest and most pervasive heresies. But Gnosticism was not just an ancient heresy. It's a modern heresy too. For 2,000 years now, the church has been staving off and fighting off various forms of Gnosticism. Because you see, Gnosticism is not so much a, a system of beliefs. It's a tendency. It's a tendency to replace the, the historic facts of Christianity with philosophical ideas. To to dehistoricize and to de the Christian faith. And this tendency, I, I would argue, is alive and well within the modern church. For instance, we dehistoricize our faith when we say things like, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus was actually born of a virgin. It doesn't really matter whether he actually rose from the dead. What matters is the meaning of Jesus, what he stands for. Or in other words, Christianity can be true without being true. And we do this in more subtle ways, too. Um, We we tend to boil down down the Christian faith into abstract doctrinal formulations and statements. We We take the Bible, which comes to us concretely in the form of narrative and parable and poetry, and then we turn it into a system of abstract doctrines. We turn it into a textbook. This is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about salvation. This is what we believe about the end times. And so on. And, and we have to do that to a degree. But when we do that, and when that's all we do, or when, or when we're imbalanced in the way that we do that, we, take, we, we, we turn the Bible into abstract doctrine and then we lose a sense of being swept up into the very real and very true story that God is telling with the world. And so the Apostles' Creed does not permit us to dehistoricize in that way. It is a summary of the Bible, but it's not an abstract summary of the bible it's a summary of historical events as recorded in the bible when we share the gospel we're not sharing christian philosophy we're not sharing with our neighbors good christian ideas we are sharing with them things that god has actually done in the world now what about what about dephysicalizing the faith how do we what do i mean by that and how do we do that how do we dephysicalize the faith well first century gnostics taught that the physical world the material world was created by an inferior deity and that salvation was really a matter of escaping the world escaping the material world in response to the question of evil and suffering gnostics taught that the created world was fundamentally defective and probably created by an evil god. Many of them were also also disgusted by the embodiedness of humanity. One teacher referred to the human body as flesh stuffed with dung. And so, first century Gnostics learned, uh, they longed, first century Gnostics longed to escape the world and the body. In fact, they, they longed for the destruction of the world and the body. And again, this, this way of thinking, I think is alive and well in the church today. For many Christians, salvation means escaping from this broken world and getting to heaven. That's the goal. And often we, we imagine heaven as a, as a disembodied place. In order for our souls to exist in a state of perfection, we have to shed these bodies like dirty laundry. You can also see this in the way that we we think about the incarnation of Jesus. His putting on flesh, his, his becoming a human being. We assume that for Jesus, to have a human body must have been an inherently humiliating thing. Poor Jesus had to put on This dung stuffed flesh suit, right? We don't conceive of our bodies as inherently good. We don't conceive of the human body as inherently glorious, part of God's good created order. And so we assume that Jesus, in putting on flesh and putting on a body, must have been degraded in some way. But Jesus did not reject human nature nor did he exalt himself above it. He actually united himself with human nature, thereby uniting us to God's nature. Again, the, the Apostles' Creed does not permit de-physicalizing. According to the Creed, despite the many evil things in this world, we are still living in God's good creation. This is a sick world that needs to be healed, not an evil world that needs to be destroyed. And what's more, we do not hope for a bodiless, heavenly existence. We look forward to being re-embodied with glorious bodies, just like Jesus. He rose from the dead bodily. He ascended into heaven bodily, with a body. And so he has already shown us what our eternal existence is going to be like. We're going to have bodies. The Gnostic tendency is alive and well, but the Apostles' Creed is a wise and wonderful and time-tested remedy. God the Father brought into being a good world Over, over everything, from the most distant galaxy to your pinky toe God says good. It's good. But the good world has fallen. And so God the Son came to the good world to redeem it. Why go to all that trouble? Because it's a good world. And the good world having been redeemed by God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is transforming the good world into an even better world. That is the gospel according to the Apostles' Creed. It can be easy sometimes for the church to to slip into defining our faith by what we oppose rather than what we promote. We define our faith by by what we stand against rather than than what we stand for. But as for us, we're going to stand up every week and we're gonna tell the world what we stand for. We will pledge our allegiance to a God who is creative, and humble, and gentle, and loving, and willing to suffer, and all-powerful, and all-wise, and and ever-present. A God who unites himself to us. A God who unites us to one another a God who forgives our sins and a God who will one day raise us to life everlasting. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of our existence. We we believe into you as our Father Almighty. Jesus, you You entered into the world that we broke in order to redeem not just us, but but everything. And we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, as, as we recite this creed together week after week, please form us and shape us and equip us and unite us for the growing good of this good, good world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.